Pride, the decadence of consumerism. So there has always been a conflict between these power-seeking moral reformers and the lowbrow culture of saloons, immigrant and black resistance to work, shopping, dance halls, rock and roll, and the ever-advancing sexual revolution. Because this book is a renegade history, it spends as much time in the street, the bedroom, the movie theater, and the saloon as it does listening to speeches. You will see inside brothels and gay nightclubs. You will see the secret parties held by slaves and understand why so many refused to leave the plantation when they were freed. You will see people avoiding work, fighting cops, and fornicating shamelessly. You will see prostitutes ruling over men. You will see Irish, Jewish, and Italian immigrants dancing like blacks before they became white, and in every instance, you will see American freedom expanding. At the most basic level, this book is about the fight that political philosophers have always identified as the central conflict in human history, that between the individual and society. Thus far, Scholars have shown little interest in finding this conflict in American history, and even less interest in the kinds of individualists who are at the center of this book. The leading historians of early America brilliantly narrate the dynamic tensions between settler and Indian, democrat and monarchist, slave and master, merchant and craftsman. But often, not a single prostitute, ruffian, drunken laborer, bawdy pirate, slacking laborer, or shiftless slave makes an appearance in their books, even though such people filled the streets of American cities. The great historians of the colonial and revolutionary periods have given us masterful analyses of the transatlantic economy, the class basis of the revolutionaries, and the ideological origins of American democracy. But too often, they are uninterested in the ways in which individual freedoms were constrained in the service of democracy, and how, despite its place as the capital of liberty, America developed a national culture that was more sexually restrained and work-obsessed than Victorian England. The pivotal events of the 19th century have been similarly whitewashed, especially, and ironically, in the telling of black history. Unfortunately, because the historians who came of age during the 1960s and 1970s were so eager to make the masses into heroes, they did not see that it was precisely the non-heroic and unseemly characteristics of ordinary folks that changed American culture for the better. Historians of slavery rarely acknowledge that slaves and their descendants were the vanguard in the struggle against Victorian repression. Instead, Textbooks show African Americans of the era as the hardest-working, thriftiest, most sober, and family-oriented of all Americans. In the telling of the West, bottom-up scholars replaced the silly romanticism of older historians with a far more intelligent and hard-headed narrative of American expansion. But now we have scores of books in which the story of the West is an unrelenting litany of oppression, exploitation, and genocide, 
in which ghost towns, bleak Indian reservations, depressed barrios, and strip mines dominate the scene. None of this is wrong, but it surely reduces human experience to its most unpleasant aspects. More importantly, it neglects the remarkable freedoms and pleasures that miners, lumberjacks, railroad workers, prostitutes, Indians, blacks, Mexicans, and Chinese enjoyed, often together, in the same rooms, in the lawless, wide-open towns of the American frontier. The historians who created women's history were especially egregious in the silencing of bad behavior. Following the first and second waves of feminists who inspired them to write the history of women, the first generation of American women's historians of the 1970s and 1980s seldom mentioned sex and fun and pleasure, and they were...